Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the authors, books, and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. I'm Dr. Richard Bolzakelli, lecturer in theology at Catholic Studies Academy, in for Jason Gale. And I'm joined this week by Dr. Benjamin Smith, our lecturer in philosophy. Today we'll be talking about a moral issue that unfortunately has become a political dog whistle in recent decades, namely greed. Dr. Smith wrote on this topic recently in his substack, The Logos Letter, and his discussion there recalls the complexities surrounding the concept of private property, why we should have it, and the virtuous way to handle it. Now, before we get started, don't forget the basics, like and subscribe, hit the bell, leave your comments down below, and don't forget to share this content with your, with your friends. So, Dr. Smith, why don't you get us started? Walk us through mm -hmm. this issue. Sure, yeah. So, well, this is an issue I've been interested in for a good long time. Uh, you'll recall, uh, Rich, that um, back when we taught together at a, a liberal arts college, Catholic liberal arts college, um, one of the one of the courses that you know the in philosophy we taught on a regular basis was uh, an ethics course, right? So I, I mm -hmm. think I probably taught that course. I don't know, I mean, thirty times. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, you know, because sometimes I, yeah, right. I mean, because uh, sometimes I teach two sections in the same semester, right? So. Right. Uh, so it was a good number of, uh, of uh, times. And that was really great, great, because it allowed me to, to spend some time sort of delving into issues and thinking things through, you know, uh, over and over again. Um, and so one one of the, the sections of that course that was uh, quite popular was on the vices, uh, I think often in moral theology, you know, called the capital sins. Um, and I would, you know, uh, spend some time uh, talking about um, things like greed and and wrath and things of that nature, and that was always a part of the course that actually the students actually found quite engaging. Uh, I had a I entitled uh, the section that covered greed. I think I entitled it uh, uh, something along the line of sex, money, and murder. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, which, <laughs> just to try to get the attention of the students, but it worked, right? <laughs> you know. But one of the things I found. Uh, Rich, that was really interesting was the that I would usually start by talking about lust first mm -hmm. in the course. And of course, that would get people quite engaged, right? With a good bit of pushback, <laughs> as you can uh -huh. imagine. But I would get almost the same amount of pushback when I talked about greed. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like initially a little surprising, you know, like uh -huh. I was. I wasn't really prepared for that. I was like, huh, well, that's interesting. Like, this really kind of ticked some people off. Yeah. That there was a, uh, you know, just even a, a, a sort of a, a moderate um, uh, sort of uh, lesson that you shouldn't just, you know, try to accumulate as much money as possible, right? Or something mm -hmm. like that, right? was received with a lot of umbrage, right? And uh, and, uh, and so that kind of clued me into, oh, this is, an inter like, this is important. It also tied into so, uh, some of the work I did in political philosophy as well. But uh, so I got really interested in this, had some time in, in, to that when I was teaching that course over and over again to explore it. And recently uh, had the opportunity to, to present it, uh, this information uh, to a Catholic student group. Uh, and so it's just something I'm, uh, I've been interested in for a long time. I think it's one of those areas that, especially for Americans, um, but not only, uh, there's kind of just a blind spot, right? 
I think there's kind of a default position. You can correct me if you think I'm wrong about this, but that as long as I earn my money uh, or my property uh, legally, right? I don't do anything immoral in, in that, mm-hmm. that I can, I can and almost maybe even should earn as much as possible and can do with it whatever I want. And there's no moral qualifications to either of those features. I think that for people, um, I think for people on the political right, that's probably mostly the way they think about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Now, that being said, I say, you know, for the, for the most part, right? Because sure. obviously there are people on the political right who have a sensibility for a more traditional understanding of private property, like the one we're talking about today Um, and its limitations and proper use and so forth. Right. There Mm. certainly are those people on the political right. But when you're talking about sort of that American um, kind of uh, classical liberalism thing, right. Right, right. Then, yeah, I mean, Hey, it was, it was fair. It was fair. I went out and I got, I worked, I got it. Sure. Yeah. 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 That's right. And I I think interesting enough, there's a, 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 maybe even a, um, an attitude towards uh, work. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the view of the place of work in our culture. Right. Um, That's kind of tied to this uh, as well. Right. That is this sort of kind of almost that it's desirable to to work endlessly right Mm -hmm. and tirelessly uh and and, you know how we praise hard work right uh now in some ways you want to say of course yeah sure i mean it's good to exert yourself and to earn your daily bread and and those sorts of things not be lazy not be lazy right those sorts of things uh um to be strong to be active at the same time the ancient world didn't see in oil as, a, as, as something that's desirable in itself well in many right? ways they saw it as a problem to be solved right that's right yeah yeah i mean that humanity has no leisure that's right yeah, now, in, that's obviously right. you know if you're in a um i think if you're in a in a more and how can i put it a more primitive um sure. socioeconomic condition right mm-hmm. um where you whether or not you work determines whether or not you live right (laughs) on a daily basis sure um then i think that problem of you know slavery to work Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. is is probably more poignant to you right you're probably more aware of it i would sure and certainly that would have been the case in the middle ages Mm -hmm. there weren't a lot of safety nets in the middle ages Mm -hmm. people right Mm -hmm. in the contemporary society i think oddly we can lose sight of this um, mm. of the fact that we that there's a, a, a tendency of human beings to be enslaved to work mm-hmm. because we don't really feel like that because there are safety nets mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. does that make any uh, sense yeah right yeah it does it's strange right <laughs> yeah and so yeah. We, we we think that if we just work all the time i mean it's there's a real paradox there right <laughs> i mean if, uh-huh. if i work all the time um i have no leisure in my life then I must be the virtuous one. I'm not, I'm free. I'm not slave. I'm, I'm not a slave. 
Right, right, yeah, yeah. Whereas actually, but it's kind of the opposite. It's, it's kind of like, the opposite, right? You know, you're like, yeah. I mean, there are people who, for some good reasons, work extraordinary amounts of time. Uh, at the same time, you want to make sure it's for a good reason, right? Yeah, uh, and not simply the like an irrational accumulation of wealth. Um, but uh, maybe we should just jump in here and think about you know uh, what would be like an irrational, you know, sort of. Uh, um, um attitude towards wealth interestingly you know thomas of course considers the fact um you know so i'm taking my approach here from thomas aquinas but thomas uh considers the fact that uh, and he's not alone um that private property isn't um the only option right Mm -hmm. you know uh and this goes in the philosophical tradition of course goes back to plato and aristotle they both talk about uh, various ways of distributing uh, goods, right? Uh, uh, external goods, and of course, Christian uh, commentators, uh, including you know Saint John Chrysostom and others, are aware of the New Testament example, right, of the church, uh, the early church, you know, sharing all things in common, right. Um, so, uh, you know, Thomas is aware of the possibility that we might not have private property, right? That we could. You, we could we could arrange for property and money and so forth to be held uh, jointly, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and Plato, as as famously, you know, we well know, uh, you know, hypothesizes about you know the possibility of communism, right? Um, where the all the property is held in common. One thing people that often get wrong about Plato on that is that's really actually just for the guardians. <laughs> it's not for everybody, uh, but in any event. Um, mm-hmm. The, uh, there is the idea that uh, uh, there, you know, Thomas is aware of. There's a possibility other than private property, yeah, right? mm-hmm. namely common property. What would like what would it look like? And I, I think you want to start with maybe a non-repulsive um, you know, sort of example, but say you know um, uh, you're in a relatively say primitive situation. And you decide, um, you know, there's only maybe two families together in an area mm-hmm. and you decide, you know, we, our resources are limited, our ability, you know, uh, our labor is limited. You know, it's just going to be better if we just throw all our stuff together. Right. Yeah. And we work together and we all you know, have a common table, yeah. common food, common tools, because right. this is you, you So let's right? you I mean, yeah, to make, to make sense, the situation yeah. pretty to make the situation pretty simple. Right. You say, well. There are tools, okay. Mm-hmm. So let's say um, there are two. There are tools. We have, you know, we have some garden tools. We can cultivate some soil and grow some sure. stuff and take care mm-hmm. of our chickens. Um, we got some chickens, mm-hmm. right? A chicken coop. Right. Uh, we have a well. That's right. right? Yeah. A wheelbarrow. Yeah. Sure. Um, that kind of stuff. There's right. And together, there are two separate families here, and together we. Um, you know, we we work on this stuff and we share the produce. That's right. Yeah, right. yeah. We share the tools. We share the produce. Uh, those sort of things. We might even share security arrangements. You know, uh-huh. that sort of thing, right? So you can imagine, right, uh, a situation in which it might make some sense, right, to have everything in common, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, at least in terms of um, property, or even now, like even mm-hmm. say lots of things in common. Mm-hmm. If not everything, but at least lots of things. Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, uh, and of course, interestingly enough, we kind of forget 
this a little bit, but, you know, Thomas, of course, uh, Aquinas and other medieval thinkers would have been aware of this in terms of the religious orders, right? Right, of which they were, <laughs> you know, were part, right? That's right, you know, like, you know, I mean, oddly enough, we, we kind of miss this sometimes, but they're kind of like nonprofit corporations in which everything is shared in common, right? Right. And, and sometimes we're almost, you know, very successful because they did, you know, like the Cistercians, for example, especially in France, ended up being very fine farmers, right? Uh-huh. Um, you know, and and kind of worked the land together. And so, so again, another example, right, of uh, having things in common. Um, but Thomas rejects this ultimately, right, as the required view, right, mm-hmm. um, and and says that the, and argues that private property is actually a good thing, right. Uh, but of course, uh, he begins with making a clear sort of some clear definitions and distinctions, right? To to kind of set this argument up, uh, and I, of course, you know, that, that's always helpful. But he's he talks about private property in terms of the Latin term proprium, right? Right. He calls it quasi proprium, uh-huh. which is a nice nice term, right? A uh, nice phrase altogether. Proprium in this context means something like one's own yeah mm-hmm. right um so it might express something we might say in english like you know uh my hand right yeah. uh it, it's, it's mine yeah. right it's proper to me right um uh, now what he says about private property interestingly is that it's quasi proprium it's as if it were one's own yeah. right uh-huh. um which is a very interesting sort of qualification i think he's thinking analogously right Moving yeah, from the the the, yeah. the 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 clear instance of my hand, which is very clear. What do I mean by? I mean it, it's literally part of me, right? Yeah. If I if take you... that away from you, then I've done real violence. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's an integral part of me, right? So uh-huh. that you know, I will not function as well. I might survive, of course, but I will not function as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it would be it also would be severe wounds there, right? Yeah. Um, so you tell you start with that sense, okay? But then I can also say, well, this is my sweater, right? Or my glasses. I could talk about my house, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now those are not natural parts, right? Of me, that is, this sweater uh, will at some point wear out, and I'll probably I'll probably wear it till it wears out. But once it's worn out, <laughs> I will get rid of it, right? Uh, uh, you won't mourn too much. That You'll will... be like, oh, I like that sweater, but... Yeah, that's I'm right. Like... Yeah, yeah. And it's not <laughs> as if I've lost a, literally a part of myself, right? Uh-huh. My body will continue to function as well as it did beforehand without that sweater, right? Uh-huh. Uh, so it's not a natural part of me. But property, right? Private property, we treat as quasi-proprium as if it were a part of me, right? Mm-hmm. And so just like you can't take my hand from me without it being assault, right? Similarly, you can't you cannot take my uh sweater from me without it being either theft or robbery. Oh. Right. Right. That's a violation, right? I because this is quasi proprium. It's as if it were a part of me. Yeah. And and what it what it really violates what that consists in then is, so you're taking this from me, it means I can't anymore, I've lost control of it. So for right. Thomas, and he really gets this from Roman law, there's a, a for something to be quasi-appropriate means that you have dominum, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you have lordship over it, right? Mastery of it, right? Yeah. Uh, and so I really like that, actually, because in one way, it 
makes it very clear, right? Uh, what we're talking about, right? Sometimes when people talk about property, it sounds a little weird. Like, what is ownership? What does it mean to own something? Mm-hmm. Well, Thomas, I think, develops, you know, from from Roman, you know, from his sources, a, a pretty clear notion. It means to have control of it, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. You know, you have quasi uh, permanent uh, control of it. Uh, such that you don't have control of it. You might ask to borrow my sweater, right? And I could loan it to you, but you can't take it, right? Uh, without my permission, because I have dominum over it. I have lordship over it. Yeah. I have control over it. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And there are reasons for that, right? It's not just totally mm-hmm. arbitrary. Right. Um, yeah. So you could ask, okay, maybe that's what private property is. Uh, is that a good arrangement? <laughs> right? Yeah. Why do we have it? How's it? How do we come? Why should we have it? Yeah. So Thomas's answer, and this is, uh, you know, kind of fits with his general sort of teleological approach to things, is he thinks that our um, right, right, yeah, to private property is tied to the fact that we need to be able to control the means of human flourishing. Right, right. So, you know, um, human flourishing is our natural end right? Human happiness. We don't have to argue for that. It's our end, right? Um, and we pursue all the things that we pursue in virtue of that end or for the sake of that end. Well, as it turns out, unlike the other animals, we need many artifacts, right? We need uh, land, which is an artifact, but we need land. We need houses. We need tools, like we talked about before, um, in order to flourish as human beings, right? Um, right. Clothing appropriate uh, to our environment. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then even you think about, you know, uh, books, right. To help us learn, you know, I mean, there's all yeah, sorts because, of things, because, you know? because the acquisition of knowledge is, is part of our natural function, right? That's, That's right. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So people, you know, why do you have so many books? Because I want to be happy. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? It's true. <laughs> right. I want to be happy, but the, um, uh, um, so that, uh, it, it ties in, right. This idea that, um, of private property, dominum, right, mastery, control of material things to the idea of human flourishing. So I so in order to, to flourish well, I need to eat, I need to provide food for myself and for my children, right? Mm-hmm. Well, in order to do that in a rational, efficient, and secure way, I need to be able to control right a certain amount of food, right? Yeah. And control space in which that food is stored, right? Uh, and control the means by which I acquire those two things, right? right. You see, you follow all that, right? How all that sort of ties together. So I need a house. I need a place to store the food. I need the means to get the house and the place to store the food. Right. And I need the means to get the food. Storing the food. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. You start to, well, actually, there's a lot there, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and so if, I, if I'm going to flourish, I'm going to feed myself and my children, then I need to have control over those things, right? You know, I, I just think about trying to do this on a regular basis, and but people could come and take food out of your refrigerator whenever they want it. Yeah, right. You suddenly <laughs> yeah. lost control of <laughs> right. that thing that's necessary for your flourishing. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, you can think about it maybe in terms of like a car or something, you know. Um, I have been interested in these in Nashville they have these public scooters, right? Yeah. That people mm-hmm. can use, right? Which is interesting, right? In a way, it's an interesting social experiment, I think, sort of. But the, uh, uh, because they're free to use a lot of them, right? Uh, or very low cost. 
and you don't have to ask anybody's permission, right? Mm -hmm. uh, of course, they end up piled up in all these odd places. Yeah, you know, yeah, we haven't can't... perfected the system yet, but <laughs> right. But, but the idea, right? The idea that well, it's a good, useful to human flourishing. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe it's the sort of thing that no one person needs to um, control. control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I notice we're not really doing that with cars, right? Yeah, uh, because yeah. there's a lot of investment. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of there, investment in a car, right? There are uh, places where you can do a little bit uh, of that. Right. Just, you sort of, yeah, rent a car for like with a, you know, like one of the, like, like one of the scooters. But, mm -hmm. um, but the thing is, you know, you, um, yeah, we're not going to see probably a lot of that in our society, at sure. least not widespread, except maybe in cities. Right. Because, um, I mean, if you live in a city, then your need for a car, yeah. mm -hmm. um, I don't know what people are going to say. It's not just about need. Let's have that discussion yeah. later. Right now I'm saying... <laughs> objectively right you can right. get by day to day without a car mm. you can walk most of the places if you live in a densely populated area where mm. you go down the store the stairs out of your apartment and there are restaurants sure. and sure. shops right 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 um you don't need a vehicle most of the time and and i remember when i was younger and i thought if i lived in new york in manhattan or something i wouldn't own a car mm. i would mm. not sure. i would want to not own one right 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 um but um but there might still be a purpose for such forms of transportation occasionally mm. right and then sure. and then but you don't need to own it you don't need to own it yeah yeah whereas you know for a lot of us who live in the suburbs right you we do, do need, need to own, own, car. You need to own it right you know uh if you're going to get around anywhere at all right even just to get groceries and much less right. to work right right so um the uh um uh, you need to have control over those things, right? And right. if you object to, to to the way American infrastructure is laid out, well, we could come up with other examples, right? right. Uh, the the point being that um, that we need to be able to have control over uh, the necessities of our life, right? Right, right. And that's what justifies most foundationally, right, the right to private property. Now, Thomas adds to that a couple of other um, uh, things. Uh, one is it does allow us uh, and to cultivate the virtue of prudence, as well as the virtues of stewardship, right, or liberality, if you like, mm -hmm. right. So you have care over these things that you have to start becoming responsible. We call it responsibility. You have to start planning, right? You know, to to uh, to uh, uh, about these things about you know acquiring money, investing money right, rightly, using money to get what you need and not blow it on frivolous things, you know, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, so it does allow you to, or at least uh, encourages you, right, to to practice prudence, uh, frugality, stewardship. Uh, another uh, important one is that it does make you uh, more zealous in the maintenance of these things, uh -huh. which uh, I'm thinking about the, the scooters here. And uh, the, one of my worries about the cars would be like, well, who's going to really, really maintain it, right? Because yeah. like I only have an interest in keeping it so good, good enough during my trip, right? Uh -huh. I can imagine being in it, and like maybe the last guy was a jerk and just you know trashed it or something, you know. But you I see mean, how the scooters are. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah, just the abandoned. They're lying on the side <laughs> right. of the, the sidewalk. Right, and we find this, you know, uh, that you know, famously, homeowners tend to be more diligent. 
than renters, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of uh, not trying to put down renters. We've all been, we've all been there, but uh, just saying, and, and it makes a sense. There's, there's, there's a, like how much as a renter should I invest in the landscaping of, of the place I'm renting? Very little. Right. Yeah, you're you not know, going to benefit when, long-term. when you move out, like you're not going to get any of that equity. That's right. That's right. It's just gone. Right. Um, so in the event, um, he does think that if it's your own, you'll be more zealous and it's upkeep. And then third, and I think this is actually really helpful, that it avoids conflict, right? Because, uh, you know, just think about sharing something, like just say even in your own family, right? A lot of conflict arises sharing the restroom, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like uh, sharing a car, sharing, you know, if you had, if you shared all things, then Thomas thinks that you would be uh, in a situation where there'd be more conflict. So anyways, all of those arguments say together, he thinks that it's rational to have private property. And it's so rational that it's part of use gentium. That mm-hmm. is, it is part of, it is a conclusion of natural law that is so universal that it doesn't need to be legislated into reality. Yeah, uh, it, it's already there. You yeah, already have. Right. That's in right, fact, right, the political right. the political community arises out of this concern and lar- to large to large. Yeah, extent. sure. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think uh, uh, mm-hmm. you know that doesn't mean there, there shouldn't be laws introduced to help us you know, sort of organize it well, but it's already there, right? Uh, it's yeah. already uh, uh, presupposed. Um, so anyways, I think that's an interesting point uh, uh, there. Um, what do you think about that case for for uh, for private property? I think it's a strong case for private property. Um, mm-hmm. I, um, I think, you know, it's interesting from a political point of view, um, the concept of common law. Sure. Right, which doesn't really involve legislation as such, right? But recognition mm-hmm. custom. Mm-hmm. Um, the, um, the, the, it's an interesting category, maybe a discussion for another time, but like, I, I think th- this is one of those places where you could really see where the concept sure. of common law comes from and why it's a, it's an important political idea. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. One, which in our society, we've kind of forgotten about to a great extent right, right? Yeah. law That's is all true. positivistic yeah, yeah yeah um but there's an aspect of the concept of private property that i think is important to look at here that i'm not directly hearing in your articulation mm-hmm. of it and that is um the exertion of work upon the material world mm-hmm. that that in other words i establish a relationship with the product of my labor Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you what do you think about that idea? How does that affect this concept? I think it's interesting. I mean, that's kind of a Lockean idea. I think Leo the Thirteenth takes it up some uh-huh. at the uh, in um, uh, uh, what's the name of it? Yeah, um, uh, in yeah, Rerum um, Navarum, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, so um, I don't know exactly what to think of that. Um, I think it's a very unusual. Well. The way Locke sets it up, anyways, it's very unusual uh-huh. situation, right? Because the way he's describing it is, you show up, right, mm-hmm. and nobody's there, right, yeah. and you acquire a right to it because you mix your labor with it. Uh-huh. I think the best I could say about it is this: that you have, in some sense, added value or brought value out of what was there that wasn't present. Right. Yeah. And it came out of you, right? You exerted mm-hmm. your own energy. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. 
and and so there's some some sense in which uh your own you've put something of yourself into the land mm-hmm. uh and brought something out of the land that wasn't there uh before right um so i think that that's a that's true i do think i don't think that's the only way to articulate it i mean i think let's say you could also articulate that same situation from an aristotelian perspective right mm-hmm. that is you know you show up nobody's there well you know you acquire a right to work this part of the land right uh because yeah. you need it you know one right. interesting thing right. both Locke and aristotle would have this in common that both would object to you placing claim over more than you could work. Right, right. Uh-huh. Which is a part of Locke sometimes people list out, leave out, right? Like, yeah, well, like, so it goes to this thing you were talking about earlier, right? With um, this idea that we could just accumulate um, indefinitely as much as, we, <laughs> as much as we wanted, right? And people uh-huh. own vast amounts of real estate that they can't possibly, they don't really do anything with it, right? Sure, sure. Um but but okay so so here's where i think you know leo um uh is this is where i think this idea is important okay okay um i i agree uh that i agree that you know the aristotelian thing nobody else is doing it um uh i i need it i need Mm -hmm. the opportunity right so i'm going to do it and then i require a right to um the produce that's an important idea because it comes to um, it, the, the Catholic Church has this idea of a universal destination of material goods, right? That basically mm-hmm. God makes the universe, um, the material universe, for the benefit of human beings. That we um, he he makes it so that we can we can live off what the world is, right? Sure. Right. And so mm-hmm. um, there's that old medieval idea that what belongs to no one belongs to anyone right mm-hmm. um and so yeah 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 right so i show up i need it i need it no one right. else is here doing it i'm not taking mm-hmm. it from anyone it doesn't belong mm-hmm. to anyone right so it belongs right. it belongs to anyone it belongs to me mm-hmm. now because i'm going to work it and i'm going to mm-hmm. derive my livelihood off of it now for you to show up and to uh to take the produce of my labor mm-hmm. um is is basically to treat me like an animal mm, the way mm. you would treat a you know an ox who's sure sure use them yeah. to plow your field right right mm. you don't feel like you owe him anything <laughs> sure he's an instrument yeah. right he's an instrument mm-hmm. um and we can't treat other human beings like that right so the whole idea of stealing mm-hmm. um has you can articulate it that way right mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now sure, you're taking something yeah go ahead, go ahead okay so remember what leo was doing and this takes us back to kind of um the beginning of our discussion today is that he was trying to thread the needle between communism on the one hand mm-hmm. and um and like this laissez-faire capitalism that was remember when he wrote this right mm-hmm. um Sure, late 19th century, right? Yeah, I mean, it was ruthless. Yeah, sure. So people were being alienated from the produce of their labor. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right? I mean, they were yeah. they were being treated as mere instruments by some right. employers. I don't want right. to, you know, yeah, people come up with exceptions. 
sure. but by some employers at least. Right. Yeah. Pretty widespread. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so uh, in this sense, right, this is a, a way of talking about, I guess, uh, tying the, the worker, right. To the product mm -hmm. saying, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. I think um, the, uh, so the employer doesn't have like, it's not the case in Catholic thinking that the employer has absolute rights to set wages at any rate he can get away right. with. That's right. That's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's important, uh, even though it might be all voluntary, right? <laughs> and even if the employer owns all the property that's involved in the uh, production, yeah. right? Uh, which in many cases he may, right? He might own all the tools, all the machinery, the land, and the 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 facilities, right? And um, even like patents on the ideas, right? He might right, sure, sure, yeah. Um, yeah, can, uh, uh, certainly uh, he's entitled to uh, to use that property to uh, um, support himself and support others, right? Um, but not just for anything, right? Uh, uh, for sure. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so let's let's ask some obvious questions, right? Okay. Um, how much is too much? <laughs> is there too much? I think you know, uh, at all, right? Uh, and I think Thomas would say, yeah. And one of the things that's really great about uh, Thomas on political matters, economic matters, um, is that because of the kind of teleological framework he uses, the same thing that justifies the existence of something also acts as a limit, mm -hmm. right? So uh, when we say, for example, when we talk about political authority, Thomas is not a, an anarchist, no big shock there, right? He thinks there needs to he think he believes in the authorities, thinks there needs to be authority. Political authority is one of the highest authorities uh, in his view. Um, but it's justified by uh and it's, its existence is justified by uh the uh its necessity for advancing the common good, right? Mm -hmm. Its existence is justified by that and limited, right? That is, when it acts contrary to the common good, it ceases to be an authority and falls into tyranny, right? Mm -hmm. So that it, you get from the common the idea of the common good, both the reason for the existence of the political authority and its limitation, right? And then I think same thing here, or similar thing here with private property. Yeah. Private property is justified in the sense that you have a right to acquire what you need for human flourishing. It's also limited by that same ratio, right? That yeah. same end, right? You know, once you've gone beyond what you need for human flourishing, right? Your right to it, at least morally, begins to diminish, right? Mm -hmm. um, to some degree, right? Uh, again, even Locke recognizes, you know, if you gather so many apples that you can't even eat them, right? That you're, you're, I mean, Locke even says this, right? If you gather so many apples that you have apples rotting, like your right to those apples ceases at the apple that you can't eat. Yeah. Uh -huh. Which is interesting, like in Locke's view, right? I'm not exactly advocating that, but it's kind of along a similar way of thinking, well, right? Well, I mean, it, it does to me make a lot of sense, particularly. Sure. Um, if you're within reach of someone who doesn't have apples, 
Imagine somebody hoarding the apples. Now there's a way around this about trade and all that kind of thing, right? Yeah. But can you imagine a terrible person, right? Hoarding rotten, rotting apples. Yeah. As somebody else is starving. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's not a hard thing to imagine. That's terrible. People would, I mean, today, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, get into a debate about advocating for or against, um, you know, limitations in law, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, but because I, I know the arguments people are going to make about how, um, how the free market tends to work these things out and all that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to some extent that's true. And I think there maybe sometimes it's not as mm-hmm. it sometimes it doesn't work. Sure. But, um, but regardless, right? Uh-huh. In principle is what I'm talking about. In sure. principle, if if I had an apple tree that produced more apples than I could consume, and my neighbor was in a situation where he didn't have food, right? Yeah. Um, it does seem to me it'd be morally reprehensible for me to <laughs> not allow him <laughs> right. to take apples from my tree. That's right. Yeah. Especially when you have enough and more than enough, right? Yeah. More than you can eat. Right. Uh, so that would be a stark example right there where we can say, you know, again, you might have a legal framework that gives you a legal title to things beyond. Yeah, but that's right? not where. But yeah, just about morally, right? Yeah. Um, that your right uh, to private property is limited. And maybe there's some gradation here, but it's limited by what you need for human flourishing right right now the next logical question is what do you need for you (laughs) what is that right what do you need for human flourishing but but i think there's another this is what people tend to get hung up on is even if we could grant the principle that there is such a limit Mm -hmm. um and we could identify uh what we need for human flourishing it's going to be i think we can anticipate that there's going to be a wide sort of range here of sure like the, it's not going to be a stark line no i don't think uh, it where is, it's yeah. the same for everyone right mm. yeah uh yeah it's not a stark line and unfortunately sometimes people say we'll see there's no standards all subjective so the hell with it right right and that's what i've gotten that right. response right yeah <laughs> and i think that's just an inadequate engagement with the topic yeah. um I think uh, a lot. There's a lot of things that have to be thought about here. One is um, your state of life, right? Like this is a work of practical reason to some degree, mm-hmm. right? You have to yeah. think about. Okay, we're talking about need for human flourishing. Well, you know, um, to some degree, there's going to be a, a core basket of goods. I think we can all recognize, right? Uh, shelter, food, clothing, right? At least adequate, right? Um, but more than I think you would say adequate. Because we're talking about flourishing, not just survival. Right, 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 right. So it's not, we're not saying, well, you just have a right to like a burlap sack you can put over you. Right? So this is not like some sort of austerity. Yeah, program, if your house right? is a cardboard box, we have a problem. That's right, exactly. It's, yeah, right, right. So it needs to be enough to flourish, right? So I think that means more than just the minimum, right? Um, or what's what's barely adequate. I think it means more than that, right? Mm-hmm. Um so I do think it's it's fine to even speak maybe here of a certain level of prosperity, right? Uh, I, w- I would be okay with that, but moderated, right? Moderated by various considerations, right? So um, 
let's take a single man who has no family, right? A single man who has no family, let's say he has no prospects for whatever reason, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's not going to get married, you know, whatever, right? Um, you know, he needs less than the married man and the father, right? Mm-hmm. Um now he still needs things, right? He still needs shelter, right? Uh, the, that sort of thing, um, you know. Uh, and again, needs it not just to get enough to get by, right? But you know, to flourish, right? So you know, uh, uh, he need, does need a home, a comfortable home. Uh, he needs uh, one that gives him security. Needs clothing that's adequate again to his station in life. That's going to be different if you're an attorney, right? You yeah. can say if you're uh, a welder, right? Both mm-hmm. are fine professions. Uh, both are wonderful and they're uh, contributing. But one guy needs to go to work in a suit. That's right. Yeah, right. And the other person pro- probably has a uniform, right? Uh, or often does. So um, that's going to look different, right? Um, you know, the 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 single man doesn't need to spend a lot of time worrying about life insurance, right? <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, he might... Well, I have a little bit just to make sure he gets buried and he doesn't, you know, like impose on his, you know, his, uh, uh, on others, but he doesn't need a lot of life insurance. Uh, you know, he doesn't need as much money or space, right. As the married man. Right. Um, yeah. very simply because in order to flourish, he just doesn't need it. Right. It's, it's yeah. unnecessary to him. Right. I would say that, you know, that, that, um, those would be the kinds of things you'd think about in terms of limits. Right. Mm-hmm. Thomas, you know, uh, using the language of his own time, a very common language to talk about according to your state in life, both today and tomorrow. Right. So yeah. Now, tomorrow about, doesn't mean like just, you know, today's Saturday. So Sunday. Yeah, tom- right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It means basically your foreseeable future. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. So investing for the future, you know, trying to put some money away for retirement, all that sort of thing, Thomas would be perfectly fine with. And I think is perfectly within what is uh, acceptable, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of our uh, attitude towards money, right? How about like um, leaving an inheritance behind? I think within measure, that that seems to me fine. I mean, you're helping your, your that's another way of supporting, right? Uh, your, um, your progeny, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think there's a difference though, this is an important distinction here between desire and outcome or intention and outcome. Thomas seems to be of the view that desiring much more than what I've described is actually greed, right? Mm -hmm. He doesn't draw the conclusion that everyone who's wealthy is therefore bad, right? Mm -hmm. It might just turn out became wealthy because of good luck or because you worked really hard, but you didn't, you weren't trying to become wealthy, but you worked hard and had a very profitable uh, business or a um, a product that the market, you know, had a uh, you know, highly desired or something of that nature, right? But yeah. he does seem to have the view, right, that desiring, intending to accumulate more than what is required for flourishing, mm-hmm. that that's disordered. Yeah. How about this? So let's say that without explicitly desiring to become immensely wealthy, mm-hmm. I have become immensely wealthy, mm-hmm. which, by the way, for the record, is false. 
<laughs> in case anybody's wondering. <laughs> in case anybody's wondering. Um, so <laughs> let's just say that I have become immensely wealthy without necessarily desire. Like I didn't set out to become immensely wealthy, but I, now I am. It's a common outcome for theologians. Yeah, it happens all the time. <laughs> so um, <laughs> is, is this bad for me? Mm. right first question and uh, uh, and second question whether it is or it isn't right mm. um are there pitfalls mm. okay so go on it doesn't make you a bad man necessarily mm-hmm. okay let's say this let's say that whatever is but i would say it's kind of it is potentially bad for you uh-huh. right and 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 maybe even likely to be bad for you uh-huh. i should probably say um you know it might be a a bad idea for a large number of people to have a fully stocked bar in their home uh-huh. mm-hmm. you know maybe not for some but for probably a lot of people that's just not a good idea yeah you know? uh-huh. um is it intrinsically evil no it's not, uh, but may not be a good idea for some people, right? Yeah. Um, similarly, uh, you know, you know, with food, things of that nature, right? It does really seem that the tradition, and I think this is Christian uh, uh, tradition for sure, um, and really a new type of perspective on these things, um, but but also in the uh, Aristotelian view to some degree, the great wealth is a danger right uh uh-huh. in a lot of ways um that it's very easy right uh, uh with great wealth right to put yourself in a bad position um yeah. to um reject god to overindulge you know all those sorts of things you know Ta- uh, aristotle thinks it is you know very consistent on this point that the that the middle is the is the best is the most a middle class position is mm-hmm. the one most likely to foster virtue, right? Yeah, right. Um, he says that too too little, in his view, right? This is Aristotle, but too little, in his view, is going to be hard to foster virtue, right? Uh, you're not going to have the instruments for uh, flourishing, um, right. for one thing, right? You, it's likely to develop envy, that, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, uh, that having too much, right, he thinks has yeah. a tendency towards pride and luxury, right? Right. Uh, and, and so uh, it's really in the middle who's in the best situation for the development of virtue uh, financially and economically yeah so um i mean it's important to understand from aristotelian virtue ethic which we find also in saint thomas right that mm-hmm. um that virtues ha- virtues are tendencies toward action mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. they're dispositions mm-hmm. to act in certain ways toward the good right. and a disposition to act in a certain way can only really um, reach its fullness if, in fact, I can perform such an action, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So the the problem here, there is a real problem in uh, from this perspective sure. with poverty because mm-hmm. there are certain forms of action that are that are beyond my capabilities. I, I simply can't do certain things. Um, That's right. And That's therefore, right. yeah. even if I'm even if I have a disposition, say, to be magnanimous um mm-hmm. right or to be um 
to be sort of liberal with my property. If I am so disposed, nonetheless, I have no surplus from which to do right, it. I can't, yeah, yeah. I can't celebrate sure. great events greatly, right? Mm -hmm. uh, magnificence, the virtue of magnificence, right? I can't mm -hmm. throw a huge party at a wedding to celebrate a sure. great event because I don't have the money. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I can't mm -hmm. share my stuff because I don't have enough. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's mm -hmm. a real problem with poverty. The problem with surplus, right, is it's it's that suddenly um, because I never have to think about it, I'm presented with this delusion that I really mm. am completely self-sufficient. Right. And now yeah. all of a sudden, yeah. Yeah. my mm. um, dependency, I'm a, the reality of my dependency upon the people around me, my society, God. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Is obscured from my view because I, I right. I'm I'm enabled to think I have I'm strong enough by myself. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. And this is why like the virtuous man who does become wealthy, right, uh -huh. um, should possess the virtue of liberality or stewardship, right, and should then be very apt and zealous. To giving away the surplus right yeah. so to some degree this you know and that doesn't mean just like throwing money away in the streets right or something you know but you know using it wisely that wouldn't be being a good steward using it wisely to help the to to uh to increase human flourishing really important point is that's the whole point of possession in the first place right yeah, right is human right. flourishing right so, so if this is the once part you've yeah. Yeah. This right. is the part that, see, I want to bring us back to this because this is part of what you were saying earlier. And it's, mm -hmm. it's really important. The idea that there's a common good interest in private property, private property sure. is defended by the political right. community. Sure. And it's defended by the political yeah. community because there is a common good to it. That's right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, so, that contributes um, to it. yeah. The society, society as a whole needs for there to be such a thing, or at least it's a very it's a proven way of accomplishing goods that's right yeah mm -hmm. um that are common to everyone that's right now yeah. so the rich man is in a position to he has surplus and mm -hmm. therefore he's a he's actually in a position to perform a function for the common good that mm -hmm. otherwise might not be performed and that is sure. that he can supply for the needs of um the destitute now you might say well there wouldn't be mm -hmm. any destitute if there was just a more even distribution of goods not so, because yeah, there yeah, yeah. are, um, well, first of all, it's demonstrably from an economic point of view, it's obviously false, right? Because we've right, attempted right, that. Right. It doesn't seem to work out that way. Yeah. But but let me give you an example of logistically why. Um, mm -hmm. Say you have a hurricane and you lose everything. Mm -hmm. Your house gets demolished. You've lost everything. You right. had enough. Right, right. And everyone around you has enough. Right. No one has surplus. How are we going to get you out of that situation? Sure. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 That, that is, yeah. It's going to be most helpful if there's somebody with a surplus, right? Uh, actually, yeah. Who can sort of donate to, and this is what we do, right? I mean, um, uh, uh, lots of times there's the um, kind of charitable movements, right? To, to get people to control right and uh -huh. then you know uh to the people who go through that disaster if they had no surplus right they would not be able to they, do that they wouldn't be able to help yeah so yeah the um and this is not but very importantly this is not unjust to the wealthy person right uh because the whole point of 
private property is the, the uh, support of human flourishing. Right. So once you've achieved your own human flourishing, then it's it's right and virtuous that that surplus be committed to the the flourishing of others. Right. I do think there's a, a large variety of ways in which that can be done. Uh, and I think um, uh, in, in creative way, yeah. right? Uh, for that to be done. Very interesting. Thomas it does not necessarily Long. mean taxing the wealthy <laughs> to the point where they only have as much in the bank as the next guy. Cut right? it, off it doesn't really mean that. Um, seven, in fact, cut it off at like 89,000, right? 100% yeah, taxation. For that. <laughs> right. So um, it doesn't really mean that, right? So I think one thing it's important to think about is that, um, you know, the a wealthy person may... A wealthy person may, um, in order to distribute from his wealth um, in a becoming manner and in a prudent manner, right, that he has to live in a certain kind of way right, in order to be able to do that. And mm -hmm. that state in life may require actually more stuff than I require. Sure. Yeah. Okay, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. And here's the thing is, if the government takes all of it, right, then he he can't practice the, the liberality, right? Right. He can't practice the <laughs> virtue, right? So, so what Thomas you're actually, says about this, you're actually doing harm. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's what Thomas says about this, and uh, and other medieval theologians, right, is that you know we leave the surplus in the hands of uh, the wealthy so that they may be lived, right? Right. Uh, and it would be inappropriate, right, for it to all be appropriated by uh, the political community. Uh, at the same time, it would be inappropriate, you know, for the, the wealthy man, so that's on that side, right, but it would be inappropriate for the wealthy man to simply uh, use his wealth for uh, endless indulgence, endless luxury, uh, that sort of thing, right? Yeah, that like sort that. of opulence. That's right, yeah, yeah. And in fact, you know, I would go a little bit strong on this that you know the, the Romans have this tradition, and I think this is kind of a, I kind of like this that if you ever built a home larger than the public temples, that that was considered vicious and uh -huh. blame worthy, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. That the temples need to be the largest, most magnificent thing, and that you are exercising hubris, right, and pride of yeah. life to be. I like that. I think that's a kind of neat. Cultural, yeah, it's interesting to have some kind of you know, standard. That's right. Yeah. Accepted standard. That's right. Yeah. Um, I do think that there that we've lost this entirely, but yeah. even in the 1940s and 50s, uh, this had diminished some, but it was still there. And you can find it earlier on that the ostentatious display of wealth was considered vicious yeah. uh, and blameworthy um, in many cultures and for a long time. West. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, royalty and no nobility had to make the excuse, and I think sometimes it was an excuse, sometimes it was probably honest, but um, in their display of wealth, that this was for the state and for the people, uh, that is, it had a kind of a public good kind of function, right? Uh, the, you know, if this is the king, the king shouldn't be kind of dressed in rag, you know, he's representing the, the commonwealth, right? Um, but at the same time, that the, the need to even make that kind of justification, right? Show that there was a kind of, you know, not that you need to go around looking terrible or something like that, but that uh that great the 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 display of opulence and luxury was was like I say considered 
blameworthy. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's base, it's vulgar. Right, yeah, it's vulgar. Um, yeah, right. You shouldn't, a, a, a human being shouldn't need to do that, right? Even if that human being is wealthy. And that, I think that's the way to think yeah. of it. You're above that. Like, you don't How about need the idea to, of um, considering the conditions of the less fortunate? Sure, um, that's another side of it. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So I dress myself in all kinds of bling. Um, while i mean maybe i'm not directly in touch right with people who are um destitute but i know that they're out there um is there where's that line i I think the big problem here right is is where we where's the line Mm -hmm. because you know the poor you will always have with you right we we know they're always gonna be poor people and they may not be my immediate neighbors but i know they're I don't mm-hmm. have to drive too far to find really poor people. Sure, sure. But yeah, I mean, I think custom. I which... think custom is custom is helpful here, uh-huh. uh, and lots of times we don't look. At, uh, we can look at what is customarily accepted in in our society in terms of what do we customarily associate with uh, well being or flourishing, right? Mm-hmm. And and then going way beyond that, right? <laughs> you know, would be I, I think the 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 line, you know. Um, so, um, you know, <clears throat> I'm living in a, in a, in a home that's comfortable. I have two children that live, uh, you know, that live with me. Um, and, you know, I have a very standard, uh, three bedroom. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, the, the three bedroom, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. small bedrooms. Ranch like house little, or something. You know, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, they're little, little tiny <laughs> bedrooms. Right. And there's a larger living room and a larger kitchen and, and that's kind of it, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a functional house, right? It's uh-huh. comfortable, it's secure, it's functional. That's the thing. I got to okay. So let's garage, say no, whatever. But you know, for me by myself with just two kids living in a, you know, I don't know, four thousand square foot. It gets mansion, the job done. You know, that would be a little. I would start to feel kind of weird about that. Like, what am I doing? You know, like, why do I have all this space? You know, <laughs> like, you know, no. Again, maybe if I'm the king, I can come up with some reasons for it. Uh, you know, I have to entertain and reasons of state. But at the end of the day, you know, we when we do see kind of this kind of opulence, there is always kind of the question of like, well, what is it for? You know, uh, it, do, it does seem to be um, unnecessary to human flourishing, right? Uh-huh. You know, it'd be better uh, uh, committed to, to other purposes. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the, the, the you know, uh, I know we've gone kind of long here, but one of the things that, that, great wealth and the greed that greed right great wealth in itself is a danger in the tradition right uh but it's not necessarily evil greed is always evil yeah desire desire for it right that's right yeah the disordered desire for wealth right comes with all of these other things right there uh this is in traditional the um in the literature called the daughters of the vice right yeah and so in uh um, in the case of greed, right, there's uh, these daughters are, um, I'll just read them here. This is not original to Thomas. He's just kind of quoting the tradition. Yeah. Treachery, fraud, falsehood, perjury, restlessness. I like that one. I, th- I think that's correct. Violence. And then this insensibility to mercy. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Right. The person is kind of merciless, right? 
like they they don't. I think kind of for the reasons you're talking about, they don't perceive themselves to need any mercy, uh-huh. right? And so towards others, they're like, well, just too bad for you, you know? Yeah, let them eat cake. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, you know, there's just a pity, uh, like, uh, without pity, right? Yeah. Uh, also, I think others. there's a psychological, so it's, you know, deep down, right? Mm-hmm. They recognize the disparity. Sure. And they need to feel good about it. So don't <laughs> yeah. ask me to care about your poverty. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And then the, the restlessness, right? Uh, you think of the wealthy people seem to never be content. Right, maybe because the or, material or the greedy goods, person. because the material goods that they've they've made the center of their lives are not sufficient. They're not sufficient. It's yeah, not. They yeah. may be net to some degree. Material wealth is necessary for our flourishing, right. but it's not mm-hmm. the only thing necessary for our flourishing. So when we make it That's our right. primary focus, right, then we take our focus off of those other goods that are also necessary for our flourishing. Yeah. And it- Necessary and even you know much more important. Important, right? right. It, you know, because even Aristotle, you're right. You know, he recognizes that the you need a certain amount of material goods to be virtuous, but he also says it's not a lot. And he says that the um, that the virtuous man will deal with right lack better uh, mm-hmm. than than the vicious person. But yeah, the um, you know the these other goods are more constitutive, right? The material goods are are merely mood to life right uh mm-hmm. uh you know for for uh flourishing they don't instantiate it right you know the things that instantiates actual flourishing or beatitude at least even in a philosophical sense uh you know or friendships uh yeah. learning wisdom um you know those sorts of things right yeah uh, uh the experience of beauty contemplation uh those are the things that actually instantiate uh happiness right. right right so the distinction again is is the distinction between bonum utile right mm-hmm. Th- something that's good because it's useful for other mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and bonum honestum right a thing that's, that's right. the true good to be sought for its own sake and that's, that's right. something that yeah. in our society today we we it's hard for us to make that distinction yeah it is but and it I really think, is important yeah. for understanding this issue Sure, absolutely. And as I said, I know we've gone on, but I think this is, that's key, right? Because at the end of the day, greed isn't so much about saying, oh, you're naughty because you, you're wealthy, right? Uh, in some sort of finger-wagging sense. Greed undermines our happiness, right? Yeah. Greed destroys uh, um, our, um, our, our flourishing, Right. Yeah, it's a self-destructive uh, behavior. Yeah, and it's hard for us to see it with this one. We can see it more easily, I think, with gluttony, right? We can see it more easily, like say with gluttony, like you know, drinking too much or eating too much, right? If you're drunk all the time, obviously that's going to undermine your your happiness. If you're right, you know, it, you're it causes obese. deterioration in your physical health. Right. Yeah. If you're obese, that's going to there's problems with that. But it's harder to see it with wealth, right? With the disordered desire for wealth. But I think if you think about that restlessness. That's a good good way to think about it. Also thinking about the, the lack of mercy, right? Uh, there, I think another one is, and this doesn't come up explicitly in the list Thomas used, but I think there's a really strong connection between greed and, and sloth. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm saying, I'm always confused about the pronunciation of that, Rich. But anyways, um, you know, in Thomas's view, again, he's taking this from a larger tradition, but sloth has to do not with laziness, really, 
but with an indifference to the spiritual good, right? Yeah. So there's a, there is a laziness, but it's a laziness towards the spiritual good, right? Yeah. And almost right. kind of indifference. And sort of, a, kind of yeah, you're indifferent to it. You can't be motivated. Mm-hmm. And it, you're defeated by the difficulty of that's right yeah of of pursuing it right yeah there's an arduous good there right yeah and, and there's like, a uh, yeah you know, prayer too so great hard. to resist it's too much bother <laughs> right. yeah yeah and i think you can easily see how avarice attaching you habitually in a ordered fashion to material goods right would make it very hard for you turn your mind and heart towards God, right? Mm-hmm. And towards spiritual things, right? You know, I'm working all the time to get the new boat and the second boat and the bigger yacht. And I just don't have time for the spiritual goods, you know, for yeah. corporal spiritual works of mercy or for contemplation or meditative prayer or any of those sorts of or things. Or keeping right? holy Sabbath day. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. And, and, and not only do I have time, I don't have a taste for it. Yeah, I don't delight mm-hmm. in it. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think of the, the the that man who has sloth is. It's like, it's like you you set a beautiful dish before him, right? But he but he almost can't taste it. You know, like his his sense of taste is coarsened, right? Yeah. Uh, right. Even though there's a delicious meal in front of him, you know, uh, he can't he can't enjoy it, right? He can't yeah, even. Yeah. He can't even delight in it, you know. Yeah, and, so well, that, and that's, that's really the mark. That's that's the mark of the vicious man, right? Mm-hmm. That's true. He, yeah, he can't delight in the good. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's boorish, you know, to him or, or tasteless. Uh, and I think that's the you could. I think that it should be obvious that 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 there's a connection there. I think mm-hmm. once you start thinking of, well, I'm putting all my mind and effort and energy and value into the accumulation of material things. Yes, of course, spiritual things are, are going to be uh, less valuable to me. So one last point, because we we are pretty long, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, given that there are those people who, due to their circumstance, are in a position where they have to work seemingly incessantly, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> what, if any, obligations fall to the man with a great surplus? Mm. to uh alleviate that condition sure i think there's some there's some uh, there's got to be some right uh you know saint john christism famously says right that the excess uh of the wealthy man belongs to the poor right mm-hmm. um i take that to be a little rhetorical but i think the point of it is important i think um you know how how he would go about doing that would depend on the circumstances but if he could relieve it to some degree that would be great certainly if he's the employer right i yeah. mean this is where i would be Maybe very he's paying better right? yeah you need to pay him better and you need to demand not demand that he works so much right uh-huh. uh i mean that's a that's on the side of it would certainly be on the side of the uh um the employer uh i think um you know there used to be um you know uh a way you know societies that were founded for um giving some relief right to those who uh have to 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 labor that way but i would um yeah i think uh that uh, you would want to be contributing to that person's good at least in terms of maybe like um, some sort of financial support if it's possible did you have something in mind there rich 
No, I think what I mean, this could be a whole other podcast, obviously, and we don't have time sure. to start that one right now. But the right. um because you know, people always want solutions. And much of our political debate today rests on this quest for solutions. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can recognize the problems. And sure. I think it's a it's a bogus, uh really disingenuous and um well, it's a disingenuous thing, right, to to look at the other side of the political divide and just ascribe to them nefarious motives, sure. saying they don't care about the plight mm-hmm. of the poor. Uh, sure. But, right, I mean, why don't we acknowledge that there is a problem, but that solutions are not necessarily mm-hmm. obvious, right? Yeah, what is the yeah. right response? How do, mm-hmm. what what are the obligations? Um, that, that's That's a whole debate by itself. So sure, I, sure. I, I guess what I want to say is um, it's definitely a problem that there are mm. people who, though they have mm. industry, right, they, they are, they're not lazy. They are, in fact, working sure. and they're working really hard mm. and they're working all mm. the time, but they mm. can't seem to get by. Mm-hmm. That's mm. a social problem. That's a problem. Absolutely. That's a social problem, right? Um, right. And it's a it's a problem. It's not just a private problem. W- would you agree mm-hmm. that this is a problem that has to do with the common good? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah I mean, so, I say of course because the uh, the common good is us flourishing together, right? Yeah. Uh, now that so if said, our society is know, such that people, mm-hmm. to no fault of their own, yes, right, can't yeah. flourish. That's right. Yeah, right. Then yeah. that's a social problem, right? So. Sure. Um, so yeah, that would seem to mean that there will be obligations that fall to the wealthy mm-hmm. in those cases. What what the right answer is, I don't know, but I just think sure. it's important to recognize that. You know, I think just 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 reflecting here for a moment, I think about the employer who I picked out earlier. Mm-hmm. One thing wealthy people can do is create businesses that are better at compensation. Then you know, like it might actually be the case, right? That uh, a, a helpful thing, right? is for well you know a number of wealthy people to band together in and commit to forming a company that compensates people in a just way for their labor do, do you follow me you know yeah the i mean i would imagine which is not designed to accumulate wealth for the shareholders but instead yeah yeah to yeah. produce living wages for those who engage in the business sure and i would think this would be the kind of thing that would make a, a wealthy person praiseworthy right yeah uh insofar as right they were actually contributing to the good of others people don't want just a handout most of the time i mean there's some people who are like that but the vast majority of people don't want to just get a handout right they, they, they want, want to, what they want is for their work not to be futile that's right. right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, you know, you create companies that first off don't require their people to work 60 hours mm-hmm. uh or whatever. And 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 then you and you create circumstances where they can make enough, right? Um, you know, uh so that that I think, you know, and at that point you're kind of moving over into Catholic social teaching, but but there, you know, without necessarily necessarily, there could be. Uh, but without necessarily recourse to, to government intervention, you can see wealthy people coming together to create, you know, right. things like this. You've seen this in the past where wealthy people come together to create um, orphanages, to create, uh, you know, retirement homes for those who can't, uh-huh. you know. So it's not as if this is sort of pie in the sky, right? Yeah. Um, this is, in fact, um, the kind of thing that has happened in the past. 
does require though a certain kind of virtue right and to yeah. not be right um a greedy person right right all right well that was a great discussion and um yes. anyway let's mention again your um your sub stack uh, yeah logo it's, uh, yeah it's logo uh 2022 over there i'm doing sort of more stuff uh i've been kind of getting the focus tighter and tighter but i'm kind of doing things that are more directly about using kind of ancient forms of wisdom ancient forms of the love of wisdom to engage with contemporary problems um and so uh, if you like that sort of thing yeah you check it out all right okay thanks dr smith for a uh riveting discussion and um for those out in the audience, I'm glad you were with us. If you stayed with us this long, uh, great. Don't forget to subscribe and so forth and so on. And God bless.